Hey everyone, thanks for listening to SwiftCast. If you're a fan of Taylor, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on iTunes or your podcast app, and it will automatically download our episodes for you each week. We have a lot of exciting episodes and guests as Reputation rolls out, so you'll only be doing yourself a favor by subscribing. Also, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr, at SwiftCast13, or you can find all of our episodes and social media at our website, SwiftCast13.com. Enjoy the show! Welcome to episode 222 of SwiftCast. This is Ashley, Adam, Nate, and Steph. And we have an incredible episode for you. I feel like we've been spoiling you guys with special guests almost at this point. I don't care if we've been spoiling them. I feel as though everyone that we've had in these past, let's see, what is how, how long has it even been now? Two weeks? Three weeks? Has just been phenomenal. It's been such a blur and so amazing and everyone has such great things to contribute to what's going on with reputation right now. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that all of these amazing guests have been just as excited and willing to spend time talking about it as we are. Absolutely. And if you guys haven't heard these episodes, uh, we've had Perez Hilton on the show. We've had Right Said Fred on the show. We've had two reporters, one from Billboard, one from Rolling Stone. Uh, I mean, it's really, truly been a whirlwind. And if you guys have not listened to these, please go check them out. They all have such great, great things to say about Taylor. And in between that, we've been trying to bring you guys just our normal episodes to catch you up on the news and everything, which has been challenging, but we've been managing it. So hopefully you're all hanging in there with our hectic schedule. Yeah, we almost forgot how to do a normal episode because we've been having so many exciting (laughs) guests, but I love having guests and And I like hearing different perspectives, especially about what people are predicting for the upcoming album. Like, no joke, that's a true story. We kind of forgot how to do normal episodes. (laughs) We did. We were sitting here like, wait, a segment? What? (laughs) What's that? Like, oh, I guess we should talk about news. (laughs) And so if you're listening to this episode, you've probably seen who our guest is. He is someone so well-known in the fandom who is also such a great fan and supporter of Taylor, Brian Mansfield. He used to be a reporter at USA Today, where he did extensive Taylor coverage for all of her past albums, and now he's moved into a different role where he doesn't work with Taylor as much, but on Twitter and just as a fan, he is one of the most supportive people of Taylor that I've ever seen, and just so intelligent about music in general, and I feel so honored that we even had him once, let alone a second time today. Absolutely. He first joined us on episode 204, which was actually back in June, nearly three months ago. And it really feels like it was just yesterday. And like Nate said, we've only had knowledge of everything that's happening for about three weeks, but it's been such a blur. And so we were eager to get Brian back on as soon as possible to just get his opinions on everything that's happened from the announcement of the album to the two songs we have so far to anything that we're predicting might come up in the future. And it was just such a great in-depth talk that we were able to have today. And I know you'll enjoy it as much as we did. So here is our interview with Brian Mansfield. We are so excited to have Brian Mansfield joining us back for the second time on SwiftCast. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm glad that you thought enough of me to have me back. I really appreciate it. It doesn't feel like it's been almost three months since we had you on, but the summer just flew by. It was crazy. I would not have guessed three months. I was I was really kind of taken aback when you said, come back on the show. I, was, I just did that two weeks ago. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's especially exciting for me because uh, last time I was not able to be on the interview. And just as a listener, that entire episode, I just was completely enthralled with. I mean, every single word uh, that you said, Brian, it was just fantastic. I loved everything that you had to say. Oh, great. Now I have a standard to live up to. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) And for anyone who may not remember, that was episode 204, and it was released on June 21st. So not quite three months, like two and a half, but you're right. It does feel like yesterday. And I guess we've had a lot happen since then, haven't we? <laughs> just just a little, you know. 
Well, it was pretty funny when we put out that episode because obviously in June, everybody had no information about anything Taylor might be doing. It was all complete speculation. Desperation was at an all-time high in the fan base. And people really took everything that you said despite us talking all about how you don't actually know anything and just made all kinds of crazy connections with it. So was was I right? (laughs) (laughs) So that was around the time when everybody was thinking that the album or the single would be called something relating to time or clocks or something. And so you had a quote that said, it seems like Taylor is starting the clock on her album cycle. And people transcribed that quote, circled the word clock, and were using it as like explicit proof saying that they knew what was happening now. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I think I think there was a, a Scott Borchetta was doing some of his inspirational quotes, and he was doing all these unknown quotes that everybody <laughs> was going, ooh, are these lyrics from the album? And there was something about time in one of those around that same time. And I remember doing something because of that, but I think it was after the people started circling the transcriptions and stuff. I think it was I think it was after our podcast rather than during it. <laughs> and so then when we knew that Taylor was going to be making an announcement soon, the biggest rumor going around was that it was going to be called Timeless. And people weren't sure if that was the album or the song, but there was even a fake website, Timeless.com, that was put up. It really got out of hand. I, I remember that. Where did, the, where did the Timeless thing start? Do you know? Because I don't. I don't know. It was It was just everywhere. Okay. I don't know where it started either. But the website, we heard that it cost a lot of money to have the domain name. So I thought it was accurate, but it was not. Yeah. Of course, we still got 13 songs that we don't know, right? (laughs) Right. You never know. 13 songs that we don't know. See, and so now when she does another one and it's down to 12, I'm actually going to be disappointed. (laughs) I want to keep it at this 13 number for as long as possible. It feels like a good sign. Uh, well, yeah, if I talk to her, I'll, I'll, I'll tell her not to release anymore until November 10th. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so funny you say that because we were all very excited when Ready For It came out and very surprised, I'm sure you were. But I don't know. I just I love having most of the album as a surprise. And it's kind of anticlimactic when you hear so many in advance. I guess that's true, but also it's it's nice to have some some reference points and and for me it's nice to have a sense of how the artist wants me to listen to the record and the things that because as a critic that was something that I did I tried to give people a sense of how to listen to it and I think that's one of the things that that we are getting especially with look what you made me do is we're sort of getting some, some instructions from Taylor of this is, this is how I want you to go into the album. Yeah. And it's just really interesting to have everything laid out by Taylor in such a different way than what we're used to. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm really curious how that's going to play out between now and November, because Look What You Made Me Do was the first single of hers that really felt like it was one of her cryptic clues. Usually, you know, like a Shake It Off or um, or We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together, whatever, they kind of stood alone as their own song. I mean, and, and Look What You Made Me Do does that, but I can't help but listen to that and go, that's going to sound completely different when we have the whole album as a frame of reference than it does as a standalone. Does that make sense? It absolutely does because I've been thinking a lot about the possibility that the entire album is going to tell a chronological story from beginning to end. And I know that's kind of what Taylor has always tried to do, but I feel like this might be a lot more structured of a story than what we're used to. And all these pieces are going to fit together. It it, it might be the, the thing that, well, there's, there's, there's two things that I find really interesting about where we seem to be headed with all of this. The first one is that Look What You Made Me Do is a brilliant piece of misdirection, and we can get into that if you want. The second is, I suspect this may be the album where Taylor 
really starts writing from a character's point of view rather than her own. We saw a little of that on 1989, especially with Blank Space. I mean, she was very explicit about that, that, that Blank Space was her kind of taking what, what her reputation was at the time and writing from the perspective of that character as opposed to writing from her actual self. And look what you made me, the first thing that I remember thinking about, look what you made me do, was it sounded like a sequel to Blank Space. It sounded like that nightmare dressed like a daydream stepping out of the daydream dress and becoming an even scarier version of, you know, of the woman in that video. What a great way to word that. I love that visual. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Yeah, I, I think if if it's not the same character as Blank Space, I think it's a very similar character. And of course, we've probably all seen the uh, the tweet or the Tumblr post, whatever it was, about the fifteen songs and fifteen different tailors for the album. That that to me would be a really interesting development for her as a songwriter to start really writing from character perspectives as opposed to writing from a very personal perspective, which is kind of how she came up. She came up writing about herself and getting right to the heart of what she was feeling. My gut says the biggest difference between this album and all the others is she's putting a little bit of distance and starting to write from either completely different characters and creating completely fictionalized songs, or at the very least writing from some kind of variation of herself. So, Brian, you said that you thought Look What You Made Me Do was a big misdirection. What do you mean by that? Well, I think it's it's one of those songs, and and I'm not exactly sure how you actually structure a song to do this and accomplish it, but they seem to have. I think it means one thing to the hardcore Taylor fans that obsess over the lyrics and really know the story and have a good sense of who she is as a person, whether they've met her or not. And I think it means something very different to people who only know her from the way that she's been portrayed by other people, whether that's the media or social media or what other people have said about her. Um, If you listen to that song from either of those perspectives, you're going to hear it in a very different way. If you're used to the feuds and the feuds are all you know, and that's your frame of reference for Taylor, you're going to hear the feuds in it. But if that's not what you're all about, then you're going to hear that a a completely different way. Um, Somebody that I knew, uh, that's not a big Taylor Swift fan, uh, several weeks in said, he said, She's singing this song, not, she's not singing this song to other people. She's singing this song to her former self. And, and I think we hear it more that way. And a lot of the media hears it more as, oh, she's singing to Kanye. This is about Katy Perry. And I just, that gives her this space where people can kind of go think what they want. And she's like, fine, I will, I will sing songs from that character for you. And they will be there. But that's not actually the Taylor that we know. So, I mean, I'm kind of talking about it. It's, it's, it's a pretty meta concept. <laughs> I think this may be like the most meta pop single that I've heard in a long, long time. It's so interesting, but it makes total sense. You're right. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense because not only with Look What You Made Me Do, but even with Ready For It, the media is just taking it in all kinds of directions and saying it's about this person or this person. But in my opinion, it could be about anyone. Yeah. And I like that it seems like she's maintaining her privacy by using this, what you said, misdirection. Yeah. Well, because when when artists get to that size, one of the things that they have to learn to do is they have to learn how to hold a little bit of themselves back so they feel like they have some sense of privacy even when they get mobbed when they go out in public. Um, there's a, there's a great book that Bill Flanagan at VH1 wrote about U2 and I'm blanking on the name of it right now. And it's buried behind like three stacks of books on my shelf, but they had to go, they had to go through this after like, um, the Joshua tree. And after they became a superstar act, because like Taylor, they had grown up 
creatively just putting everything out in front of their fans and giving them every last piece that they could. And that's what people loved about him. And so around the time of um, the pop album and the Zoo TV tour, they started creating this sort of mass artifice that kind of obliterated what people thought they knew about U2. And Bono came out with makeup on and horns and this character called McFisto. And it was this very... Uh, it was this very weird kind of pro wrestling heel turn, uh, but it, it gave them a way to present themselves and present their music that wasn't actually them. And and that's and and again and that that was something that I thought of in the first two hours when I'm playing, you know, from from midnight to two a.m. when I'm playing "Look What You Made Me Do" over and over and over and over. I'm going, this is this is her McFisto, and you look at the album cover and you see. All of the uh, all the typeface obscuring about half of her face, and it's like the typeface becomes sort of a half mask, and you it sort of it makes up her face, but it also obscures her face, and so you can't really tell if it's if that's a mask that's coming or going, but it it begins to be a mask, and I think she's creating this space with her art that lets her do one thing publicly but still lets her be kind of the tailor we all know and love privately. And actually, that's one, one of the things that I, that I keep thinking we're going to see sometime between now and November is somebody or some of us are going to get to see that private tailor the way that people did with the 1989 listening sessions, which was such a great thing. And I heard nothing but good stuff about that from, from people who went there and from her team. And she really seemed to enjoy it. And I, I, I have a feeling that at some point we're going to get to see that old Taylor, but maybe not in a way that the whole world gets to see it. And I, I don't know what form that would take, but I, I got to think that's coming. I definitely want to come back to that in a minute. One thing I wanted to ask was, so when you were on your first listening spree from midnight to 2 a.m., Let's go back to the very first time you heard the song. What was your initial reaction and how did you first feel about the sound? Because it was for me, I mean, none of us could have predicted what she would do, but I literally sat there in shock just trying to process it. Yeah, well, and and I think we touched on this a little bit the first time that whatever it was, we knew it was going to be really different because she's always shown that big sonic leap on every record. Um, So I knew it was going to be different. I went in expecting to be surprised, but I do remember going, I wasn't expecting it to sound like that. (laughs) (laughs) Cause actually the, when, cause, cause it, um, it came on Spotify like a half hour before she had said it would. And I was actually going to try to go to sleep and just deal with it in the morning. Cause I just, I, I can't do that sort of thing. So, <laughs> and so I just, just as I was going to sleep, I was like, all right, let's see if maybe it is. And then we'll put the phone up and then there it was. And so it's like, all right, now we got to listen. So I played, I played just a sample. So I only got to hear the 30 second sample first. And it was like, oh, that's really weird. Is that even the right track? Did somebody accidentally put up the wrong track? And then I went in and listened to the whole thing and um, yeah, it, it took, it took some getting used to. So I, I sat down and it's like, all right, we're going to listen to it four or five times just to see what it's like. And then the next thing that I knew it was 2 AM and I'd been sitting there listening and tweeting for two hours. <laughs> yeah. I think it was really interesting for me. It was, and obviously I love Taylor. I'm sitting here doing this podcast about her for almost five years. I, was very, very shocked, and I had a hard time accepting that it was so different, and it wasn't until I went to sleep, woke up, and then listened to it in the car, which I feel like is kind of always a different experience in itself, that I really felt it starting to click for me. I have to admit, as a listening experience, it is not my favorite Taylor record. And the the whole revenge thing and songs about people, that is that's my least favorite of her songwriting themes. Um, But, and and I remember thinking that, and then I looked at the clock and was like, well, 
I must like it okay because I've been listening to it nonstop for the last 90 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's really interesting to me, uh, going back to what you said about you two, um, is, is that one thing I know that Taylor is very good at, it's, it's taking back that narrative from the media. I mean, we saw it with Blank Space. We saw it with Look What You Made Me Do. Um, she, she makes it her own. And to me, because uh, she's able to overcome these things, and, and like you said with uh, these artists and they have to keep pieces in, of themselves, uh, you know, of course, that human element that they need to hang on to. I, I feel like it's, it's her way of kind of pushing back and just creating that space for her to operate as a person, to, to be who she is. So anyway, I thought that was really interesting you said that. Yeah, and, and I, think, I think that's what's going on. And the taking back the narrative, this, this is kind of an interesting twist on that because she is sort of taking back the narrative, but she's also just like twisting it up and or throwing a grenade into it or turning it back on itself. And it makes it very difficult to figure out what exactly is going on. And I think that's part of the point. And so to continue on that, um, you did say something about how uh, you thought that the secret sessions uh, or the listening sessions were uh, fantastic. And you said you heard great things. Now, if you had a guess, because you're you're in the industry and you and you see these trends and things, um, what form of that human side, what form of that Taylor we all know and love, do you think is going to emerge for for this album? Do you have any guesses? I, I don't know. the only The only thing that I've seen that kind of has me thinking in that direction is that the social media presence has pretty much disappeared except on Tumblr. And I've been trying to think why that is. Why in terms of interaction... Right, yeah. Tweets are gone. Uh... Yeah, tweet, tweets are gone. She's not following anybody. Facebook has never really been that for her. I don't think she's doing any kind of engagement on Instagram right now, is she? We haven't seen the kind of likes on Instagram that we're seeing on Twitter, right? I mean, on Tumblr. Right. And we were talking about how Specifically on Instagram, it seems like she's trying to do an overhaul by wiping out all of her page. She's been posting photos in order that are kind of creating this like color coordinated design if you look at it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I, and I haven't looked at that lately. So I'll be curious to see what's going on there. But she's not she's not engaging with people there. She's just kind of she's just kind of broadcasting on those channels. Right. She actually had her comments disabled on there. Right. And, and and I think that's that's interesting because I think that may be important. And I'm trying to figure out because I I don't spend a lot of time on Tumblr. Um, I'm trying to figure out what the difference is that would keep her at Tumblr but not on Twitter or Instagram or anyplace else. And I think the difference is, and you guys may use this more than I do, so maybe you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. That Tumblr lets her sort of naturally filter out the negativity because like Twitter, you can't go on Twitter and read the good comments without seeing the bad comments. Right. No matter who you're following or what you're doing. But if you're on Tumblr, you've kind of got your people that you follow on Tumblr and that you can trust. And you don't, you don't see as much trolling at least within the posts, maybe in the comment section, but not in the posts. And what she seems to be really reacting to is the post, not the comments, right? Right. And so she will only see the posts that the people that she's following are putting out because comments aren't really traditional comments on Tumblr. You would actually have to reblog and post something to your own page to comment. Right. So if it's someone saying something nasty, chances are Taylor doesn't follow them and she'll never have to see it, which is great. She shouldn't have to. Exactly. And I think I think that's part of what we're talking about, about that distance between the public and the private. So she's got these public broadcasting channels now, you know, Twitter and YouTube and Instagram, but she has this one that's a little more private. And it took everybody a while to figure out, oh, there's old Taylor. There's, you know, old Taylor isn't dead. She's sitting there liking people on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I think the major difference so far has been that she 
on Tumblr the past few weeks has only been liking things, whereas in the past she would leave fans very, very long comments. So I'll be interested to see if she goes back to doing more than just liking. Yeah, and and so I I think that suggests to me that we've still got that part of her somewhere and we just have to find out what she's going to do with it. But I don't know what form that's going to take. I, I hope it involves her, you know, having somebody call me up and say, hey, you need to come over and listen to this record. If that happens, then I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the most interesting things for us as fans, I think, has been that, for example, this was the first time that an album was announced without Taylor being in a room full of fans. We've been finding everything out the same time and same way as the rest of the world. There so far hasn't been any fan parties or Taylor showing up at any fans' houses, which is not to say that those things won't happen because nothing shocks me, but it's very, very different. And I think we're all wondering as we get closer to November and even as we go into the tour, will she be interacting with fans as much? And and I have no idea what form that's going to take. Um, I... I'd like to think that that somehow that happens that she that she doesn't feel like things have gotten so out of hand that she has to pull back that far. Um, but I think I, I I think she's definitely controlling what that's going to look like. I I but but I I all, all of this has been so much of a surprise to me as well in terms of how she's rolled things out that I couldn't even hazard a good guess as to what she's got up her sleeve other than to say I'd be really surprised if there aren't some very nice personal surprises at some point as part of this. And we'll be right back with more of our interview with Brian. Well, with Taylor's, as we mentioned, different style of letting the world know what she's doing with not having fans at live streams. With that said, she's doing a lot of new really huge promotional events and for example UPS ABC ESPN AT&T which she just had her ad come out today uh, the day we're recording September 7th with AT&T where we saw behind the scenes footage and we saw the ad so I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about that because she's making that such a big portion of reputation whereas for past albums, she definitely had a lot of things going on, but this seems like it's on a much larger scale. I guess it is, um, but I, it hasn't it hasn't struck me that if it is bigger, that it's so much bigger that it's out of character. Um, it doesn't strike me as an unusually excessive rollout for. A release event this big. I mean, I've I've seen those kinds of things before, and we've seen in the past. We've seen the the soda tie-ins and the perfumes and and those things. You know, and what was it, Comcast or Xfinity that she had the deal with? I mean, we've we've seen those kinds of deals. Um, this one seemed to be just a lot all of a sudden uh, in very public ways. But that's. It's kind of the size that we've come to expect. I mean, that may be like the one part of the rollout so far that hasn't been much of a surprise to me is that she put these huge deals in place because clearly she's thinking big and these have been big deals for a big rollout. Yeah, I guess it just seems like with each album, she's able to secure bigger and bigger deals, which is great and makes a lot of sense because if you compare with Red, she had Papa John's and... Diet Coke, and then now with AT and T, she has, a, from what I understand, a ten-year deal with the company. Wow! She has the biggest phone provider. She has the biggest shipping provider. She has the biggest entertainment provider in ABC and ESPN. It feels like total global domination. <laughs> How do you put it that way? Yeah, I've never really thought about it like that. Well, yeah, and, and the, the the better track record you have with stuff like that, the bigger deals you can command. Um, one thing that I would watch for, because I know for years people have said, oh, Taylor Swift at the Super Bowl, and people who kind of knew what was going on were going, Taylor's a Diet Coke girl, Super Bowl halftime show is Pepsi. That's not happening. And so I think one of the things that you do have to start looking at in terms of – 
not so much where is she going to be, but what's she going to be a part of is are their sponsors going to conflict with her sponsors? Because that'll be something that she has to take into consideration. Whatever she's doing is, you know, is, is, is somebody that is competing with AT&T or they, you know, are, are, are they sponsoring this event or this thing in some way that's going to make that a problem? That's such a good point. When I first heard Ready For It, I thought that the song would be fantastic for the Winter Olympic Games, but then I realized those will be aired on NBC, which would conflict with her ABC deal. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so I also have to ask you, since this is, as you mentioned on our last episode, the first Taylor album that you know you've been really just experiencing as a fan instead of covering... Are you still as stressed as we are not knowing when things are going to drop out of nowhere? Or are you kind of just more chill about it now? I'm completely missed ready for it. I didn't, I I got a tweet, somebody tweeted me something and it didn't register with me what it was. So I didn't hear it until the next morning. Um, I, I, what I watched part of the football game, but not the part where it aired, uh, didn't see any of the ABC stuff until the next day. So it, it had been out a good 12 hours before I even knew it. But but you guys got to realize that I'm not just this way about Taylor Swift. I'm this way about music in general. So the way that everybody was knowing that look what you made me do coming out, I just call that Friday. <laughs> You must have an extremely exciting life then. Like, my God. Well, no, I just sit around and listen to music and, you know, and pull music <laughs> from Spotify onto playlists and, and do things like that. That's kind of all I do. But, you know, but, but like every week I, I, have, I have this really Byzantine um, software program that one of the guys at Spotify created called Smarter Playlists. And um, so I've created this, these instructions for Spotify to create a playlist for me every Friday based on new stuff that's getting added to certain playlists and it like gets rid of all the duplications and it takes out you know this this sort of thing and it's only songs that have been released between this date and this date and so every Friday I get up and that playlist is there for me and it's between 50 and 100 songs usually and so I try to get through those 50 or 100 new songs every week so this is just kind of business as usual for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of other music and other artists, one of the things that we talked about with you last time, which I'm so glad ended up being correct, was that we all were predicting and hoping that Jack Antonoff was involved with this album. Right. And well, and which apparently is like a really just good default guess for anybody because he seems to be on everybody's album. Yeah, I don't know when he sleeps. I honestly don't. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because we had a new Bleachers album this year, and he's all over the Lord album, and then Taylor, and he's all over the St. Vincent album, and um, goodness knows what else. He's, you know, he's, he's had a tour. So, but it, and it's, it's, it's really interesting to me to, to listen to, because I was listening to Spotify this morning and I had Look What You Made Me Do came on and then just kind of randomly Lord's Greenlight came on and it was just a perfect fit. It was it was like track two. And and then I went and listened to St. Vincent's new track, Los Angeles, which he worked on as well. And it was like, oh, these songs all fit together really well. And so that's that I think that may be kind of what gets me from here to November is going, yeah, I need to spend more time with that Lord album. Because I, I think you can, a lot of friends of mine that have been spending time with the Lord album and now are listening to the Taylor record are going, yeah, we can hear, we can hear some cross-pollination there. And so I think, I think that, that that Lord album and maybe even that Bleachers album could be very instructive. Yeah. And that's sort of been something Jack has mentioned a lot that he tends to go through these musical phases of his life i mean obviously as he went from Mm -hmm. steel train to fun to bleachers and he seems to view his career very much in defined periods and eras so i feel like this is like the 2017 era of jack antonoff like we're gonna look back on this years from now when he's done so much other work and see exactly how everything he was doing for himself and for other artists fit together yeah yeah, and, and see, and to me, to me, Jack Antonoff, because I've known 
I've known Jack, I mean, not, not very well, but I've known Jack about as long as I've known Taylor because uh, his publicist at the time put us on a golf cart at Bonnaroo and took us around Bonnaroo at like two o'clock in the morning back when he was still doing steel train. Oh my God, that's insane. <laughs> and so it, to me, watching Jack is almost as fascinating as watching Taylor, just not on as big a scale. You know, and I think it's interesting you say that because the more and more that I listen to any songs that are produced by Jack, I feel like he has some real staying power as far as uh, being a monolith in, in the music industry. I mean, you look at Max Martin, Johann Schellback, I mean, they have so many hits. I mean, I feel as though Jack Antonoff could be that next major player, could be the person who has pop music evolve into something unique, something different, the next uh, the next era, if you will. Yeah, I think if, if the Taylor and the St. Vincent albums turn out to to be big successes, I think that's probably true. Though with with Lord, I, I, I don't know that that was as big a follow-up, but she got so big so fast, it would have been really hard to do anything to move beyond Royals. Um, but with working with more established artists like Taylor and St. Vincent, uh, I, I think he's he's got an opportunity to show that he can take if he can take them in a successful new direction, then yeah, he'll become the hot thing, and everybody will want to work with Jack, which I just find kind of mind-boggling that all of a sudden all of the the mainstream women in pop music may go get us Jack Antonoff because I would never have seen that coming. Right, and I hope and I think that he will always be very selective, and he said too that he only really likes to work with people who he knows have a very clear vision, people that are not coming into the studio for him to tell them what to do, but people who are coming in with something to say and just looking for a way for him to help them say that. Yeah. Well, and, and that's the nice thing about getting to work with somebody like Taylor. When, when people like Taylor are knocking at your door, you can afford to turn down people you don't really want to work with. ha. <laughs> I can imagine he's just become so much more in demand, and I'm so glad that Taylor has held on to him. Yeah, yeah, me, me too, because those were his his parts were my favorite parts of 1989. And so we haven't talked much about Ready for It, but have you gotten to listen to it as much, or are you still absorbing it? <laughs> oh yeah, I'll, I'll still be absorbing it constantly. Um, it's 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 interesting for me because these, like like I said, these. Um, look what you maybe do and ready for it are, are, are not, I don't think they're going to be the Taylor records that I go back to again and again and again, like I do, um, well, like I do story of us and treacherous and fearless. And I mean, there's just, there's a lot of those that I just go back to again and again. I don't know that these are going to be those songs for me. I find them really, the more I learn about them, the more interesting they are to me, but that doesn't necessarily translate to a great listening experience by itself. I'm I'm always mistrustful of songs that get better when you know more things about them. I like songs that are just that great to begin with. And so I'm I'm still I'm still a little cautious about all of this because Taylor has not for my money made a serious artistic misstep yet. And I don't think this is a serious art I haven't seen any indications that this is a serious artistic misstep. But I'm not sold on this being the next masterpiece yet. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. Look What You Made Me Do was a lot for anyone to wrap their head around. And I'm glad that we got ready for it. So it gave us a taste of, you know, that the whole album won't sound like the first single, which I didn't think it would. And most fans didn't. But I can see how a casual listener might need that clarified. So I think there's just still so many unanswered questions and I think my hopes are pretty high for the rest of the album. And like we said, we have 13 tracks to go, so a lot to come. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying, you know, because, you know, you think back to the first two tracks we heard from 1989 and then just the breadth of what that sounded like. So I, I, I have a lot of I have a lot of faith in her and what I've seen her do with albums over the years. So I don't I don't have any reason to be worried, but. I'm still I'm I'm still waiting for the track that just lays me out on its own apart from anything that I know about her. I'm hard to please. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ready for It was the same team as for Style on 1989. So, 
for me, I've been trying to compare the two, and I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on that. I I, I really don't because I I have I have been trying to just enjoy this as as the music and not really have to worry about the backstories. I I haven't even looked at the credits for that. I don't I don't know who's who's the team is. Oh, okay. The team on Ready for It is Taylor, Max Martin, Johan Shellback, and Ali Payami, and they're the same four who did style. Yeah. And when we talked to you last time, you mentioned that you thought it could really go either way for Max Martin and Johan Shellback. And I guess now we know they're in- involved on at least one track. Yeah, and you know, as as close to the vest as she's playing everything and as as li- as few known clues as we have and you know as we saw with ready for it she was giving us clues to ready for it before we even knew they were clues um yeah i i who knows what she's up to i mean we found out deep into uh the 1989 run that one day she just kind of got a wild hair and called up ryan adams and said let's write so you know, goodness knows who's on this thing. Well, and speaking of the clues that you mentioned we didn't even know about, we've talked on a previous episode about how when Taylor announced a song on Instagram, she wrote dot, 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 ready for it, right before Look What You Made Me Do yeah. came out. And now, in hindsight, we realized she was giving us a clue. So when she announced ready for it in her Instagram post, she wrote a second glance and so now people are speculating whether that could be a, a song on the album. Yeah, see, and this is this is that that puzzled humor of Taylor's that I love so much because we know that everything will only make sense when it's all out there, and we know we know that there we know that there are clues, and we know that there are puzzles to be solved, but we don't always know what they are. And so what ends up happening, this this also goes back to the whole misdirection and creating that space to hide behind um, and the people circling the transcript of our podcast the last time I was on. At the same time that there are clues that we don't know exist, there are also false clues that people find and turn into something else that really aren't clues at all. And there's almost no way to tell the difference until she finally finishes with everything and goes, here it all is. And then you go, oh, okay, well, it all makes sense now. And and that's that's part of what I've tried to stay away from because uh, as the old saying goes, therein lies madness because you can just go down the rabbit hole and down the rabbit hole and then you get three months down and you realize, yeah, you've been in the wrong rabbit hole all the time. It was actually the thing that you never even considered that was what was actually going on. So I just, I'm, I, I, that'll drive me crazy. That's a good point. And for me, I'm just excited to see when everything's out to look back and realize, oh, this is what she was telling us earlier. Exactly. And I've just I I have I have come to peace with not having to have every piece of information and sift through it now. I'm just letting it happen as it happens. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really I think for me, going to try to keep enjoying the surprise elements because as soon as it's all revealed, we're going to be sitting here asking when album seven is like, this is a very rare time that I feel like we should all appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm just, I'm just letting it unfold naturally. And I, because for one thing, I think the way, the way that we have interpreted Taylor albums and Taylor songs isn't going to work anymore. If she's writing from the viewpoint of characters and, we have every reason to think that she is, then you can't interpret those the same way that you interpret autobiographical kinds of songs. And, you know, I, I got to the point, I, I told her this once is like, I got it when I was, when I was still a reporter, it's like, I gotta ask you about the the guys you're dating. I really don't care who you're dating. I I want you to find somebody really good and I want you to be happy and, you know, be married for 50 years and all of that. I don't really care who it is. (laughs) 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 And, and, and so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of getting to that place with her songs too. It's like, I want them, 
I want them to exist. I want to appreciate them just as songs, not because they're about Joe Alwyn or because they're about whoever. Um, you know, and so I'm just I'm just gonna have to let it be that. Absolutely. And even just with her progression on her debut album and even on Fearless, she would name names, Stephen, Drew. And I really like that she's just so much more obscure now. And I like that nobody can figure it out. And for me, I feel the same as you. I just don't focus on it. I focus on the music and the song and how excited I am to see it on tour. Yeah. Well, and and I think sometimes, most times I think you can figure it out eventually, but, but she, for, for several years now has very intentionally not named names in problematic songs because she wanted that plausible deniability of being able to say, I never said it was about John Meyer. Every, well, everybody knows it was, but she never actually said that it was. <laughs> and, and that's, and that's important because it gives, it gives you, it gives you that space that we've been talking about and it lets you go, well, I didn't say it. They said it. I just didn't disagree with them. Well, yeah, exactly. And I'm so glad that that's the approach she chooses to take. Yeah, you just have to, or I mean, or, or you, you really do become like toxic dating material because nobody's going to go near you because if if they know you kiss and tell, you know, nobody's going to kiss. And I feel like that's sort of maybe the mistake that some people have made in their careers when talking about you know, any conflicts they may have had with Taylor or with anybody, I feel like you start naming names like that and it just tarnishes your whole image, whether deserved or not. That's just what happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's a particular thing that I kind of wanted to touch on because obviously you have a lot of uh, insight into how the music industry works. And there's a few, I mean, obviously a ton of things that I enjoy about the music industry, but one thing particularly I like is uh, really like the nuts and bolts of it, the the advertising, the goals, like how people get to the point that, that they get to. And uh, specifically, uh, Taylor, with this album, as we've been seeing, has been doing a lot of ways to put the album, put the physical album in the hands of fans. I mean, she's been doing UPS, she's been doing uh, these magazine promos, she's uh, had, you know, through Ticketmaster, uh, the the portal through there. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you think, as far as um, these physical sales, do you think she's trying to break these records? Do you think she's taking a different approach because streaming is now a factor as well? I mean, uh, what what do you see, I guess, as an insider? Um... I I don't know how important records are to her the way they always seem to be to somebody like Garth Brooks, for example. I mean, you could Garth never really made it a secret that he wanted every album to be bigger than the next one and didn't didn't want to see the 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 bust side of the cycle. I've never gotten the sense that Taylor was that obsessed with the specific numbers. Um, but obviously I think she's looking for new ways and fresh ways to sell things um, and actually selling physical product. While on, on the one hand, it's kind of, it's a, it seems a little bit old fashioned in the sense that everybody is streaming now. And so people are consuming music in ways that don't require physically touching the uh, the medium that the music shows up in, she knows. Well, she knows she she knows that she's got a willing uh, an audience that is willing to buy to if for no other reason than to show their support of her, which a lot of a lot of artists don't have huge audiences that will do that. Uh, but also to have to have that souvenir. So I, th- I think for her audience, it's very important to have those tangible things to hold on to. Um, but I don't. I don't know that I, I would go so far as to say that she's out to 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 break records or anything like that. Obviously, she wants to be successful. She wants to be successful in more ways and in new ways. Uh, I, I I just don't know how important the the, the records are to her. Um, I do think the ticketing thing is interesting uh, with the verified fans and um, buying more things to get 
a better place in line or however you want to look at it. That's, that's something that, that is, is very interesting to me. Agreed. I think that uh, using that, I mean, obviously scalpers have been a problem for so long. I mean, uh, uh, and to actually have a good way and, and a fun way for fans to do it, I think is just, I think like a noble approach, uh, if that makes sense. It, it does, but it's also kind of a double-edged sword because as long as there is more demand for Taylor tickets than there are tickets, which is the place that you want to be as an artist, you always want to be underplaying a little bit. But as long as that exists, whoever looks responsible for fans not getting tickets is going to catch a lot of blowback. Um and you've you've already seen that with the people that are using the Ticketmaster verified fan system, because one of the things about ticketing in the past has been that artists were shielded from the blowback because Ticketmaster was the villain or scalpers were the villain or there was always somebody that was jacking up the prices and making tickets hard to get that you could go. It's their fault. And with the verified fan the 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 downside of that seems to be that if there's a problem, it goes to the artist, not to Ticketmaster, not to the scalpers. And we've already seen some of that with Taylor and the system that I still don't completely understand of being able to buy things to put you in a better position to get tickets. Because on the one hand, I can see how as an artist, you would want to go, I, the people that have spent that kind of money on me, boy, they really do deserve to be at the front of the line. And so that's, that's a noble effort. But one of the ways that it reads, especially if ticket demand is so great that you end up buying things to get a better place in line and then still don't get tickets, then that looks like you were just trying to take everybody to soak everybody for everything you could and still didn't give them a ticket. Right. And that to to me, that seems to be the most potentially dangerous thing that she has done. But I see why it makes sense because it, 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 to some degree it cuts the scalper out. Although we've seen with the Springsteen on Broadway tickets, some of those still are getting into, seem to be getting into scalper hands. I don't think it's as much as it might have been in the past, but people are still going to sell. If they can only buy two tickets, they're going to sell one ticket to pay for the other one. I think that what I just really appreciate about the whole system is that Taylor is not someone who, with anything, accepts the status quo. She's not going to keep trying to sell albums the same way. She's not going to keep doing tickets the same way. She's going to keep working and pushing to make everything better and better and better and just keep beating herself and keep improving, which is one of the reasons why I think we all love her so much. Yeah. When, and what I, one thing that I, that I'll be curious to see if this is one of the ways that they're using the, the verified fan and to, to gauge interest in the tour is since, since tour dates haven't been announced, but if she's planning on touring next year, and you got to think she is, then they've already got hold dates at venues. And she may be using, her team may be using that to go, okay, we can do three dates in Los Angeles. Yeah, we can only do one in Buffalo. But man, look at, you know, Minneapolis, Minneapolis has got two. We might be able to do seven nights in Nashville. If they're using it for something like that, I think it could end up being a very useful thing because then they go, yeah, we got we got a 20,000 seat venue. We got 80,000 requests for this city. We do four shows. Everybody gets a ticket and goes home happy. I would love to see something like that turn out to be the case. That's such an amazing suggestion. I hope that's what they're doing because I know we as fans can often be frustrated by just the insane demand and trying to get tickets. So yeah. that would be a great way to gauge it, I think. Of course, now there's there's always the possibility that, you know, they set aside four whole dates and then, you know, for a 20,000 seat venue, and then they got 120,000 and still can't do it. But but I'm hoping that they're, they're at least routing, not routing, but they are 
I'm hoping that they are at least booking the dates based on advance interest. Because I can see how you could use that system to do that. So I got to think, I got to think somebody on that team's thinking of that. So switching gears a little bit, there's something I've been wanting to ask you about. You've actually started a pretty cool project, a Taylor related project of your own lately. I did. And I did it because of you guys. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, uh, there's there's an, a, a relatively new app called Anchor, just you know, A-N-C-H-O-R. And it's, I, I sort of describe it to people as audio Snapchat or a podcast with training wheels. And what it lets you do is you can, you can, you can do all of it from your phone. And you can record and you can post music to your own. Everybody has their own station on Anchor. And so you can you can do interviews. You can just post like use it for an audio blog. Um, or you can, you can sync up Apple Music or Spotify and post whatever you want on it. So some people do it for like talk radio. Some people do it just to keep a, a journal of their life. Um, I have been using it for music, and I started a a Taylor Swift fan station called The Story of Us. And the idea is you play Taylor music, you play things that are related to Taylor music. You maybe I've, I've posted uh, small clips from old interviews that I had done with her. Uh, and then you can also call in. And so you can call in and, you know, Tell your story, tell what you think of the new single, uh, talk about meeting Taylor, why you want to meet Taylor. When the tour starts, you can talk about the show that you saw last night or what you heard about it. And it, I have this vision of it being a sort of an audio chat room for Taylor fans to go in and talk with me and talk with other Taylor fans and kind of interact with each other and the music. That's such a cool idea, and I hadn't heard of the app, so I was really excited when I saw you were doing this. Yeah, well, and the, the, the way that you guys are responsible is when the last podcast posted, we were all talking about it on Twitter, and somebody said that they wanted to hear me talk about every album now. And I said, well, I and I made some kind of wisecrack about it that it would be a lot probably that it would be a lot of hassle to start my own podcast or I should start my own podcast. And somebody from anchor said, well, you could download our app, play the song and talk between the songs. And I took a look at the app and I was like, yeah, I could do exactly that. And so I actually started with a station that I called yard sale singles because I go to garage sales constantly and buy records like a maniac. And so I would go and I'd buy a box of records and then I would play <laughs> the box of records on my station. And after we did, and so I was doing that. I started it that way. And then a few weeks ago, turns out right before the single came out, I started the story of us. And so if you go and download the anchor app, you can find the story of us and you can call into my station and I can post your stuff and you can tell me your favorite Taylor Swift song and I'll play it right after your call in. That's amazing. What's the response been like so far? Are a lot of people doing it? Uh, the, the first weekend was crazy because I'm usually my other station. If I put the effort into it, it's usually in the top hundred. Uh, but only for about four hours one Sunday did I get into the top 20 of the stations on Anchor. And within hours of my first Taylor Swift post, um, the story of us was in the top 20, got as high as number five that first day, which is wow. by far the biggest I've ever been. Um, the anchor people were contacting me going, anything we can do to help you, let us know. They put it in their featured stations immediately. And, um, and it was in, it was in the top 20 on and off for the first four or five days. And it slowed down a little bit since then. Cause I, I feel weird making all my Twitter posts about my anchor station. Um, <laughs> and so I've got to find new ways to, to get the word out. But, um, so hopefully, you know, everybody will hear it now and they'll start downloading the app and checking it out. And we can just have a whole community of Taylor Swift stations. Absolutely. I know that our listeners are absolutely just enthusiastic and excited to call into our episodes and, and to chat with us. I can't even imagine the response you're going to get after they hear you on this episode. 
Good. I, I hope so, because it was just, it was amazing to me when the calls started coming in, because the first call was from Spain, and the second call was from South Africa, and wow. I mean, we, we had our, I think we had four continents, We then we had somebody from Australia, somebody from the U.S., so I think we had, I think our first five calls represented four continents. And that just shows what a wide reach Taylor has, and it's only going to get even bigger. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, I'm honored that we were able to in any small way inspire that because I think that's what is so great about Taylor is that she creates this sense of community for everyone. Yeah, exactly. And to circle back, that's also one of the reasons that I think that we'll get, we'll get some old Taylor sightings before it's all said and done, because I, I've always gotten the feeling that that is as important to her as it is to us and that she has worked very hard to nurture that over the years. And so I can't see her just abandoning that for a project. So as our last bit on the interview here today, uh, we had a pretty decent response on Twitter when we asked people uh, what basically they wanted to ask you. And, uh, you know, as you already said uh, many, many times, uh, uh, you don't have a lot of like really um, uh, particular stuff uh, about the album, which was what a lot of the questions were about. Um, uh, one of our listeners was asking uh, specifically, you know, if certain songs have are going to have, you know, artists featured on them or um, just very specific track knowledge uh, questions. Um, uh, this one that I thought was pretty interesting came from Sippy Lane on Twitter, and they asked uh, if you think that this might be Taylor's last album. I haven't seen anything to suggest that. And it would it would really surprise me because I know I mean, she, she, she's kind of a studio rat. I mean, she's she's one of these people. I mean, and, and that's that's something that we historically associate with guys that just like to go and be in the studio. Uh, but but Taylor's one of those people. She just she likes that creation and that would really surprise me. I, I'm, I'm not sure where that would be coming from, but I, I, I don't have anything that I could point to and say this is a sign that that might happen. Well, we do know that this is Taylor's last full studio album with Big Machine label. Well, under the current contract. Right, under her current contract. Yeah, just, just because it's the last one under the contract doesn't mean... So I mean, she, this is this is this may be her free agency free agent season, but that doesn't mean she won't resign with the team. Right, she could resign, or do you think maybe she would go create her own? She could, but I mean, how much how much more of create her own is she going to get than what she's done at Big Machine? <laughs> it's very true. Like my God. Yeah, I mean, she 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 practically built that label. I mean, because that that label started out to be something very different than what it turned out to be. And I think the biggest single reason for that is Taylor. Um, and, and I also think, I also think that is something we will have almost no warning of whatsoever, that if we think she's playing stuff close to the vest now, we won't see that coming until she's got everything in place ready for that. Absolutely. And the final question, which I thought was just really fun from our listener, uh, this came from at Hassan Zalaf on Twitter, and they kind of put you on the spot. It's almost like a hot seat question. What three words would you use to describe the overall album reputation? Well, I haven't heard the overall album, so I I can't I can't give you three words that I would commit to. But you you really have no idea how hard a question that is for for me to answer, because as as a writer, if if you ask me to give you as you can tell by listening to me, 3,000 words, I could do 3,000 words. Three words would drive me just insane. I could, because they would have to be the right three words. And so I would have to, yeah, it's like they, they say about the, the sculpture, you get a, you get a piece of rock and you chip away everything that doesn't look like the head. Um, I would have to, to consciously discard all of the other words to go those three. And we don't we don't have enough time for me to go page by page through the dictionary, which is <laughs> what I am afraid I would have to do. That's fair. 
three three words is just way that's 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 a question that I just can't do. Well, that's still that's a great way to end the interview. I love it. Brian, we can't thank you enough for joining us for the second time. I think that we've all been in a bit of Taylor overload and just getting all of your insights really, I think, helps bring us back down to earth a little bit. Oh, good. Well, I'm, I'm glad I could help and I'm, I'm glad I had enough to say to fill up a second episode for you. <laughs> I mean, personally, I can't wait till we hear the rest of the album so that hopefully later we can talk with you again about the whole picture when we finally have all of the puzzle pieces, as you said. Oh, that sounds great. I'd love to do that. Do you want to remind everyone where they can find you on social media? Uh, yes, um, at Brian underscore Mansfield on Twitter and on Anchor. And I mean, uh, at Brian underscore Mansfield on Twitter and Instagram. And then the story of us on Anchor. Well, everyone should definitely go follow Brian. Whenever any Taylor news happens, yours is always the first account that I go to to see your reactions. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you so much for doing this interview, Brian. I'm so glad I could be on this one personally. Uh, it, it really, you're such a great speaker and it's it's fantastic to be able to talk to you. Great. Well, thank, thank you very much. It was n- nice to meet you finally. And we can't wait to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. I'm going to be honest. I feel smarter after having a conversation with Brian. I'm not going to lie. Wow. Yeah. After processing everything Brian just said, I absolutely feel smarter. He certainly knows a lot about the industry, so I can see that. Oh, yeah. He just knows everything. And as you said, he's so good at taking fans back down to earth a little bit. Which I think is important sometimes because, as we talked about with the clock, too, I mean, uh, sometimes things might get a little bit out of hand. So (laughs) I'm glad we have somebody there who's on our side. Definitely. And we hope to be able to talk to Brian again after the album is released and to get his thoughts about the album. And he's just always such a pleasure. And one of the coolest things to me just about Brian in general, uh, aside from, you know, his immense support of Taylor, is that he's truly just a fan himself. He loves the music. He's in it uh, just like we are, which is really incredible. Yeah, I really can't say enough great words about him. And I know that when we hear the full album, even when we think we have things all figured out, we'll bring him in and he'll just blow all of our minds again. So we hope you've enjoyed this as much as we did, and we will be back very soon for you with another episode. But for now, for episode 222, this has been Ashley, Adam, Nate, and Steph. And we'll see you guys soon. Thanks, guys. See ya. Bye, guys. Later.